What I'm really interested in, though, is helping us understand how well begun is half done relates to the time of year that we are in right now. Allow me to explain. This morning, I want to continue my personal campaign to accomplish two goals. Since 2003, I have preached a sermon on communion on or around Thanksgiving and right before Advent because I have an important goal. The Lord's Supper is one of the two most important ceremonies in the church. But most churches speak about this momentous meal for about five minutes a time once a month. You know what I'm talking about. And so this is my personal campaign to end this travesty. And fortunately, Pastor Benji has allowed me to do this each year, and for that I am thankful. But there's another reason why Well Begun is Half Done fits our message today, and that is we begin celebrating Christmas too soon. Of course, by celebrating, what I mean is we put forth this right jolly old elf to the forefront of everything, and we begin advertising all kinds of stuff that you will find it hard to live without in the coming weeks. Hard to live without, that is, until the shiny wears off and you need something new to replace it. My friends, we prepare for the two biggest shopping days of the year, and we neglect to prepare for the two biggest holy days of the year, Christmas and Easter. So well begun is half done means that we need to remember the cross before we can rightly remember the manger. Jesus being laid in a manger means nothing if he doesn't die on the cross. Jesus will not die on a cross if he isn't born to a virgin and an heir to David's throne. So I want to encourage you this morning. Use this time to prepare for Advent as opposed to Black Friday. Open your heart to your loving Father and what He will have you and I consider so that we can prepare Him room in our heart and our calendar and our checkbook. This morning we're going to look at several passages and we're going to ask questions that will help us to prepare our hearts and to defend our minds against the assault of this world this Advent season. Because as we do, as we prepare to actively diligently await the second advent, whatever else we find is in communion, we will find it is a celebration that he is coming again. He is coming again, and we know this because he came the first time. Communion is a celebration. We celebrate because we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming again. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So as we prepare, we have three things that we must do if we are going to prepare for Advent rightly. And that is repent, receive, and repeat. We need to repent of whatever sin it is that the Lord reveals to us so that we can rightly take communion. And then we need to receive 
that forgiveness. We need to receive that grace that we need of God's presence in us and through us and for us for our good. And then we need to repeat. There is no command on how often we are to do this, but I think it would be hard to celebrate communion too often. So let's start with Jesus and what he did that first Passover night. I want to read from Matthew 26, starting in verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Here in this passage, we see Jesus establishing an ordinance. Now, an ordinance is a ceremony that Jesus commanded that we do, and he gave us his own example of doing it for us. Now, we, as noted this morning, celebrate two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, specifically, this ceremony is designed for us to celebrate a reality of our salvation, namely that Jesus has come for us and he is coming again. Baptism reminds us of our new birth into the family of Christ. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' death on the cross so that we will know that he is coming again for us. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. So what's going on in this passage? Let me reread the first six verses. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who betrayed him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Those are hard words. God takes it personally when someone betrays him. Jesus said of Judas, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas had been with Jesus for years. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. Judas never missed a day of church when the doors were open. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas ate with Jesus. 
it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Those are some of the saddest, scariest verses in the whole Bible. We must not allow our eyes to pass over them without pause. Scarier still. Jesus continues. He today takes it personally when we disrespect Him in how we take the Lord's Supper. Paul warns that God has taken personal action against those who have taken the Lord's table wrongly. In 1 Corinthians 11, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Now I would love to stand up here and tell you, oh, don't worry about it. I would love to be able to tell you, oh, just, you know, eat your styrofoam wafer and drink your Kirkland grape juice. But I'm not going to do that. Because these two warnings are in the Bible for a reason. Now listen, in a few minutes, we're going to pass the plates. If you are not someone who already trusts the promises of God for you in Christ, let them pass. No one will think the less of you. Now, you don't need to be a member of grace to take communion with us, but you do need to be a member of the body of Christ. And, according to Paul, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you also need to examine yourself. Now, what does that mean? Examine yourself for what? For any unconfessed sin the Lord brings to your mind. Look, you don't need to over-fret and stew about this. You don't need to think, oh man, what sins did I commit yesterday? All you need to do is open your heart and say, Lord, I need to know what do you need me to confess? And he will reveal that to you. And you, like me, need to be willing to say, okay, Lord, yes, you are right. And you need to be willing to do something about it. In fact, you might find in between the sermon and communion, you need to do something about it right now. Maybe that's what the Lord is telling you to do. And if you are someone who trusts the promises of God for you, if you have said, Lord, open my heart and forgive me, please, Take communion. Receive the grace of God. It washes over you and cleanses you from your sins. And rejoice because that's what this is. Rejoice because the Lord has given this to you. Repent, receive, and repeat. Jesus continues here in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. I want to pause here for a second. Does that strike anyone as odd? Take, eat, this is my body? That's kind of gross. Right? I mean, where else would you hear something like that? Jesus never did anything flippantly. He knew exactly what he was doing when he said this. And very often you find in the ministry of Jesus, he says strange things. 
And he does so because he wants those who are just kind of passing by, those who really don't want to know what Jesus says, he wants to give them a reason to say, oh, I don't need this. I'm on my way. Forget this stuff. John 6, these words are hard. Who can hear it? But for those of us who care, for those of us who want to know, we say, Lord, what do you mean by this? This attitude of humble request, Lord, explain this to me, is the only thing that separates the sheep from the goats. Again, in a few moments, you are going to be offered the bread. And should you take it, you will be receiving the bread of life. Jesus is the life. And you are eating this so that you remember. Just as food gives life to your bodies, you need Jesus' death on the cross to give life to your spirit. This is good news. This is good news. But it needs some unpacking. We can summarize the good news in three words. Sin, wrath, and trust. Every single human being on earth stands guilty before the God of the universe. We have all offended Him with our attitudes and actions. And the Bible calls this sin. In 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Because you see, sin separates us from God. So God hates sin because it separates His creation from Him. So God pours out His wrath on all sin. God's wrath is His unwavering, steadfast opposition to sin. Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This wrath is expressed in hell against those who will not repent. And hell we find is eternal because our sin is both against an infinitely holy God and because those in hell never cease being sinners and therefore those who sin. Which is why Jesus gave this warning. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the bad news. The good news, however, is that God's wrath can also be poured out, was also poured out, on Jesus on the cross. In fact, it was the cup of God's wrath that Jesus feared when he was contemplating that he would hang on the cross the following day. And he prayed this. Going on a little farther, he fell down on his faith and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Fortunately, for those of us who trust His promises, because Jesus drank this cup dry for all who would trust Him to do so for them, the cup of the wrath of God is dry for those who trust Him. Look what Isaiah says. 
Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. That's Jesus. Behold, look, see, pay attention. I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. Why? Because Jesus drank it for us. Now I want you to notice Isaiah 51 is a promise. I want you to notice Isaiah 51 is a promise for you. Isaiah 51 is a promise for you to trust and cling to and remember right now. God will destroy sin. He will destroy sin in hell or in the cross. And so the question, the question is, will you trust God's promises for you in Christ to drain that wrath on Jesus rather than on you? Trust the promises of God that Jesus paid your penalty. He took God's wrath for your sins. And the only thing you must do in this life will have been done when you said, Lord, forgive me. And so, I like to introduce sharing the gospel with people like this. All your sins can be forgiven. Are you interested? That really does introduce what the Bible teaches as the good news. If you are interested, if you have done something about it, then the Lord's Supper is for you. If you have not, And please, by all means, let it pass. Let the elements pass and don't eat or drink more judgment on yourself. But then ask yourself, why do I not want my sins forgiven? Jesus continues, verse 27, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now this cup represents exactly what I just described. Jesus gave his lifeblood. He received the penalty, God's wrath, that we deserved so that we can live. Listen. Jesus turned the cup of wrath into the cup of thanksgiving because he drained it dry for you. Now, Suppose there's many of us who are sitting here thinking, I don't get this. This, this is confusing. I, I still have questions. Well, I have something to say to you. Join the club! Because we all have questions. None of us has this perfectly figured out, but we can go to God's Word and He tells us so that we can know God. Because as we know God, we will therefore love Him and trust Him. But please, by all means, do not allow your questions to stop you from receiving this amazing gift. So repent. Receive. And repeat. Now I want to shift in this to a broader understanding of exactly what is happening as communion or the Lord's table is discussed in the rest of the New 
Testament. So our question is, how does the New Testament describe communion? Well, first of all, describes it by saying it is the breaking of bread. Right after the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Now, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Communion is about eating. Anybody here like to eat? I've been kind of addicted to eating for 48 years. I don't know about you. You must eat. You must eat probably less than you do. I know I could certainly do with less. But eating is both necessary to life and it's enjoyable. My friends, that is no mistake. Communion is about life and it is about having life more abundantly. The New Testament also describes communion as the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, Paul says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. You see, the Corinthians were not celebrating the Lord's Supper rightly. They were disrespecting the poorer members of the church and they were getting drunk. Paul chides them. And he tells the rich people to eat and drink at home and then to come and help the poorer members of the church so they can eat and drink and celebrate together. This is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is meant to be eaten together. Don't forget. Remember. We are invited to His Supper this morning. And when we eat of it, we are to remember that day when his supper will be the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we will be set free. We will eat all the chili verde and grilled tri-tip and Klondike Supreme pizza and berry pie a la mode. We will eat all of that that we want and we will face no consequences at the porcelain throne or on the bathroom scale. Amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And the New Testament also describes communion as a participation in communion or a participation in fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, this verse is why we do not celebrate communion alone. This verse tells us that the communion table is set for two reasons. One is that we experience the spiritual presence of Christ. It is a participation in the blood of Christ. And the communion table is set so that we will experience the spiritual presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a participation in the body of Christ. And Paul is careful to declare that all believers together, we form the body of Christ. And we give thanksgiving. So the New Testament describes communion as Eucharist. Listen to Luke's retelling of the same story. 
Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice twice after he had given thanks. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret, okay? Baptists hate using the word Eucharist. Why? Because it sounds Catholic. But guess what? The Catholics are right on this one. And a Baptist preacher just told you that, so you better write this down. (laughs) Eucharist simply means giving thanks. That's what it means. Eucharist reminds us that we are to be thankful for what the Lord has done for us. And it's perfectly okay, Baptists. You can also say Eucharist when referring to what we normally call communion. Because it really doesn't matter which term you use. The key is to repent, receive, and repeat. So, In the spirit of that, I want to ask the question, what does the Eucharist represent? There are three big ideas that the New Testament gives as to what the meal that we're talking about represents. What is it that you and I are to hold in our minds and our hearts while we celebrate receiving communion? And the first is that the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Look with me again at 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And there is a large part of the evangelical church that focuses solely on this passage as to giving the meaning of communion. It draws our attention to something that we so easily forget in the helter-skelter of life. If you trust God's promises for you in Christ, you should take communion because we forget. We're chasing after Christmas instead of Advent. But I think it's a mistake to focus solely on this aspect of communion because there's two other things that the Lord's Supper represents that we must also remember. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the good news. 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The good news is that all your sins can be forgiven. Are you interested? When you celebrate communion, when you celebrate at the Lord's table, you eat this very knowledge. It's more than simply hearing. It's tasting. So taste and see the Lord is good. When you receive communion, you proclaim this knowledge. When you celebrate communion, you remind yourself to tell others so that they can taste and see the Lord is good. And lastly, the communion meal is a participation in the body and blood of the Lord. This is such a crucial verse for understanding. 
The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now this is the part of the celebration of communion that the Reformed branch of the Evangelical Church majors on. It's one that we as Baptists often forget. There is a real experiential aspect of the celebration of receiving communion that happens. When Jesus says, this is my body, he means something. And what he means is evidently more than just the fact that God is everywhere at all times. When we come to the Lord's table, what we are noticing, or what we should notice, is that Jesus is there with you, and in you, and for you, and through you, and to you, so that everyone around you can see that you have been strengthened by the Lord's presence. What happened to Peter and the other disciples? They were noticed. They were unschooled people. They didn't know squat, but they took note. They had been with Jesus. This, in part, is you being with Jesus. And this brings us to our application. My question is, how is Jesus, not just eating bread and drinking juice, How is this a solution? How is it a help to my problems? And the answer is this. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus was laid in a manger. And eating this styrofoam and drinking this juice is not magical. But taking part in celebrating what Jesus did is in a mysterious way Jesus joining you. So join with him. You don't have to understand it. It is a mystery. But join with him and celebrate. Now, I have been told in view of this celebration that youth groups eat Cheetos and drink Dr. Pepper for their communion. Pastor James asked me to tell you his youth group doesn't do that. But above all, if you like Dr. Pepper and Cheetos, celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate that the Lord came and he ate with us. The Lord is coming again and he will once again eat with us. Now, we won't drink that nasty Dr. Pepper, but we will have a meal with him. Allow me to ask the same question from another perspective. How will this enable me to prepare for Advent? The quote I referenced at the beginning by Mary Poppins was actually written 2,000 years before Walt Disney produced his famous movie. Aristotle wrote his treatise on politics and he used the phrase, well begun is half done. Aristotle understood that on the road to a virtuous life, humans needed to understand some very basic realities about preparation. Preparation in this case for worshiping the child in a manger. And we understand that well begun is half done 
means that you and I need to remember the cross before we can remember the manger. One of the reasons we often get so little out of the Christmas season is that we are so overly involved in making memories and parties and happy children that we are not preparing to make Christians. Not preparing ourselves and our families to come become the only kind of people who really can enjoy Christmas, who can become the happy people. Happy people now and happy people eternally. So I encourage you, break that tradition today. This year, as you receive from the Lord's table, by repenting, receiving, and repeating.